When I was a teenager, I enjoyed taking personality quizzes, the kind they used to have in magazines and now you can find online. I'd answer about 10 multiple choice questions and find out what kind of friend I was or how outgoing or shy I was or how healthy I was. And I don't know if I actually really learned anything about myself, but it was a fun thing to do. Others have gone a bit deeper in that search for who am I? The Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung wrote, you are what you do, not what you say you'll do. There's a Buddhist teaching, what you think you will become. And in 2016, the Canadian author James K.A. Smith published a book titled, You Are What You Love. Now, given the choices of you are what you do, you are what you think, or you are what you love, I think the last one gets closest to what the Bible teaches. In our gospel lesson today from Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is giving his sermon on the mount. And he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts are with what we treasure, what we value, and ultimately what we love. It is our hearts which are wrapped up with our desires and our will that ultimately determine the orientation of our lives. Jesus warns against focusing our love and our energy on the things of the world that will pass away. And when we look at Jesus' teaching in context, we see that he's contrasting two different loves, treasures on earth, and treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now reading this 21 centuries later, moths and rust are not our biggest concerns when it comes to wealth and our possessions, although they can still do a number on our wool sweaters and on our vehicles. But I think we can translate this into our context. Do not focus on building up wealth and power in this world where everything is fleeting, where we face market crashes, business failures, broken relationships, and tragic circumstances that can wipe away the false security that money gives us. And even if we are able to hold on to our wealth it will not save us for all eternity. Instead, let us focus on investing in God's eternal kingdom, 
where the Lord will manage and multiply what we offer him, using it to bring true hope, life, and salvation to others. There is no expiration date on the rewards of joy and thanksgiving that we will receive for being able to participate in God's rescue mission to humanity. So what does it look like to store up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth? It looks nothing less than a reorientation of our lives toward Jesus Christ, the one who has a rightful claim on our lives because he gave his life for us. When we receive his sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins, we accept that he is Lord and King. We belong to him and we owe him our love and our obedience. And so what would the Lord have us do? As we already heard this morning, Jesus said the first and great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. Too often when we hear that word love, we simply think of a warm feeling of affection. And love includes that, but a biblical understanding of love leads to action. If we seek to love God with our whole self, then we're going to do more than just feel warm feelings. Love means submitting to God and allowing his Holy Spirit to begin aligning our desires and goals with his desires and goals with the aims of his kingdom and this realignment of our will to his will as we pray thy will be done will probably have to take place over and over and over again another memory from my teenage years i wore braces for two years and when I was done with braces I was given a retainer to wear at night which would ensure that my straightened teeth would stay in position now it's been many many years since I wore braces but my teeth are still in alignment and it's because I wear a retainer at night and if I forget to wear that retainer for just a couple nights, I can feel my teeth begin to move. After all this time, my teeth are still ready to move back into the position they were in when I was 13 years old. And my will can be just as stubborn as my teeth. I have to submit my life and my desires to the Lord on a daily basis, remembering he is my creator, my savior, my provider, my hope, my promise, and I belong to him. My self-centered will 
veers toward rebellion. Rebellion against that first and great commandment that puts God and his kingdom above me and my kingdom. So what does Jesus have to say about these competing kingdoms and competing masters? Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, Jesus is specifically addressing wealth here, but it holds true for whatever is competing for our hearts. We cannot serve two masters, only one. And it will be the one that we love the most. Now, specifically looking at that statement, you cannot serve God and wealth, his words are particularly relevant to us because, if you haven't noticed, we live in a capitalist society where everything is about earning and spending and accumulating money and possessions. So no matter how unmaterialistic we think we are, <clears throat> no matter how rich or poor we think we are, no matter how simple our lifestyle seems to us, this is something that touches each and every one of us. Jesus instructs us not to become servants of money. The one thing we are all taught to value, treasure, and protect. So how are we supposed to live out this command? How are we supposed to relieve ourselves from this all-consuming focus on wealth? Well, interestingly enough, Jesus begins by talking about worry. He seems to understand that our obsession with wealth is very much wrapped up with fear. Because most of us are not misers sitting at home counting our money or refreshing the screen on our online bank accounts or cataloging our possessions. Now, do some of us take too much pride in our homes, our cars, our clothes, and other things? Absolutely. And it's dangerous for us to become enamored with our wealth and to begin to identify with it because that quickly turns into idolatry. But I would guess that there are more of us that are worried about money than taking pride in having it. We worry about paying our rent or our mortgage. We worry about car repairs, rising grocery and utility costs. We worry about having enough now and in the future. Jesus answers our worries by reminding us of the character and faithfulness of God. 
Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Jesus reframes our problem. It's not a financial one. It's a spiritual one. Do we believe the Lord is our provider? Or do we fear we have to make it on our own? When we make decisions about spending, saving, investing, giving, do we simply do what we believe will provide us with the greatest financial security and spending power? Or are there other considerations? Jesus said, do not worry, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So what are we supposed to strive for? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. If we trust that the Lord knows our needs and we trust that he will provide for us, then our primary concern does not have to constantly be, how will I ever afford this? Instead, we have the freedom to move past that worry and to focus on offering ourselves to Jesus who offered his whole self for our lives and salvation. This isn't about being financially irresponsible, making foolish decisions, or buying into a prosperity gospel where we're promised great financial returns if we give to a church or to a ministry. No, this is about updating our approach to every part of our lives, finances included, so that they reflect the fact that Jesus is the one that we worship, serve, and love. Now, before I continue, I just want to say I am speaking specifically to Christian believers who are members of this church 
or consider St. Peter and St. Paul's their church home. As part of our current stewardship campaign, we are asking you to consider before God in prayer the amount of your income that you will consistently give to the church to support God's kingdom in Ottawa and beyond. After you have settled that matter before God and in consultation with your spouse, if you have one, then you may need to prayerfully re-examine your spending. Perhaps some of us will have more modest accommodations when we go on vacation. Our next vehicle may be an older model. Our closets may have fewer new clothes. We may make fewer Starbucks runs. This is not a prescription. I am not looking to manage anybody's finances. And there is nothing wrong with having and enjoying nice things. God put us in this material world, and it is good. But if we desire to grow in our faith and to live out our commitment to Jesus, then some level of sacrifice is required. And we make sacrifices because we have chosen, chosen to orient our lives around the one who loves us and whose kingdom we want to invest in. If Jesus is, in fact, the one and only way to salvation, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, and eternal life, then it is well worth our sacrifice to fully participate in the mission of his church. Here at St. Peter and St. Paul's, our mission and vision is sharing God's transforming love from the heart of, from the heart of Ottawa so that more people will know Jesus. That is what we have to offer. We are here to share Jesus with one another, as well as with our neighbors, colleagues, friends, and relatives. We want our city to know, we want our world to know the transforming love of Jesus Christ. We all have our own part to play in this. We all have our own sphere of influence. And when we financially invest in the church, our influence is even greater as we can participate in sharing Jesus with people we've never met. We reach parents and young children who come to our Tuesday morning playgroup. We reach neighbors who have a hard time both paying their rent and buying their groceries, but they have a safe place to go on Friday night for food and fellowship. We invest in ministries that bring the word of God to Arabic speakers around the world, and in ministries that bring health care 
and the gospel to people living in Angola. All of this is the work of the body of Christ here on earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we are invited to be part of it. But old habits and strong wills die hard. What do we do when we realize there is something we love more than God? And maybe that thing is wealth. Well, for one thing, it shouldn't necessarily surprise us. After all, that's one of the reasons Jesus talks so much about money. If wealth were not such a stumbling block, he wouldn't have the need to talk about it. In his book, You Are What You Love, James K.A. Smith suggests that Christian worship addresses this gap between what we think we love and what we really love, particularly in our confession. He writes, the body of Christ is that unique community of practice whose members own up to the fact that we don't always love what we say we do, that the devices and desires of our hearts outstrip our best intentions. And so we repent of our idols. We receive the Lord's forgiveness as well as the grace to reorient ourselves and our lives back to Jesus. And then we get on with it. We get on with doing everything we can to share love and grace and hope to those around us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.